Besser centers. And here's Pedersen. Scores! Welcome to episode 44 of the Avid Discussers Podcast. You know who it is. I'm your host, Joshua Ray, as per usual. And another week has come by for the Vancouver Canucks, and they're getting wins. More importantly, it's Thatcher Demko saving their butts, because he has been unreal. Most saves in the NHL um, right now, like, like 872, I believe, according to NHL.com, and... He has like a, like an, like some of the most, or third most, like, uh, saves above expected, or something like that. Let me just, uh, bring some of it up here. Yeah, Demko also has a casual 9.56 save percentage in his last 10 games. So, he pretty much is carrying this team. And it showed again Wednesday night. Today is. Thursday, the and you'll probably be hearing this on Thursday night or Friday morning. And the Canucks came off a 3-2 shootout win over the Ottawa Senators, the worst team in the division. Though the Senators deserved to win that game more than the Canucks because after the first period, the Canucks just looked tired. No, no, I wouldn't say the word tired. Um, like lethargic. Like the Senators were getting were were getting much more chances. They were. Um, getting a lot of high danger shots, odd man rushes, but there was Thatcher Demko. It is the Thatcher Demko show. Horvat got a goal, and so did Brock Besser, which is great to see for Besser. Just, it shows that he is an NHL sniper. And when he is healthy, and when he is on fire, when he is hot, he scores goals, because that's what he does best. And Noelias Pedersen uh, in the for the road trip at least because he is still out with that upper body injury, so the Canucks also have no Jay Beagle and Antoine Roussel because they they apparently are injured. Don't know how long they're out. Um, they also claim Jim, Jimmy Vesey off the waiver wire from the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Leafs put him on waivers and the Canucks claimed him. So VC a few years ago, was it 2016 or 20, 2017, something like that. He was like the hottest college free agent. And the Canucks didn't go after him, I believe. And then the Rangers signed him. He had an okay run in New York, like 20-point seasons, like 13 goals, somewhere around there. Spent, his, spent three years in New York City with the Rangers and then went to Buffalo last year. 
And now with the Leafs, where he has seven points, including uh, two five uh, five goals and two assists, I believe. And now he's a Vancouver Canuck. And VZ he had to drive all the way from Toronto, pack his bags, and go to Ottawa to play the game. He did arrive on time, but according to Dollywall and Patrick Johnson, he couldn't get his paperwork on time. Just couldn't get it done. And didn't play the game. So Jalen Chatfield had to come in as a four, and I almost forgot he was playing at that point because he looked barely noticeable. Except for like, a few mistakes. So, uh, VC will likely set up, be in the lineup next game against the Habs. Um, where would he fit? Probably next to... Probably next, probably on Sutter's wing. Um, you could even try to give him some top six minutes because Tanner Pearson sustained an injury against the Senators. Uh, not much has been said about that either. So I guess you could try to get get him some top six minutes. But VC, he's mostly, mostly a bottom six guy. And he can score. His defensive issues are, um, from what I hear, are a problem. But he can provide some depth scoring. He's like the, not like the most exciting player, but he can provide some depth scoring. And for the Canucks who wanted to sign four liners a few years ago, instead of paying $3 million a year for one, they could have signed a guy like VZ who's, who's getting paid like what? $800,000 a year? So, cheap contract. And it's not like uh, the Canucks could re are going to re-sign him in the offseason anyway. Because you know the priority. It's Pedersen and Hughes. And it, maybe they could because he probably won't be asking for much anyway. Since his contract is quite cheap. But, oh yeah, it's $900,000 a year. I was close. But, honestly, not a bad player. Though, there's one thing that is concerning. They could have picked up picked up Anton Forsberg, who the Sens claimed off waivers before them. And um, sent Michael DiPietro down to Utica because he needs to play some games. It's been over a year since he played a game with the... Like any any kind of hockey game, so he's been on the taxi squad, and he's been practicing with with Clark. Sure, that's I guess that's good, but it kind of hurts hurts his development. Uh, he's twenty twenty one years old. Uh, the kid needs to develop. The kid needs to play some games in order to develop. So why not send him down to Utica and? Could have claimed off Forsberg, but um, Ottawa beat it, beat them to the punch. So um, honestly, and this 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 really hurt. So this 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 really hurts for Michael DiPietro's development. And hopefully, at some point this year, he'll play a hockey game. Speaking of Ian Clark, uh, there were reports that. Um, according to Kevin Woodley, who was on the VanCast a few days ago, he said that um, Clark wanted a new deal like around this time, and it looks unlikely he'll resign. So uh, it's kind of mind b should be an it should be a no brainer to have your uh, 
goal, a goalie coach who just developed not one but two pretty good goaltenders in Demko and Markstrom to a long-term contract. But oh well, maybe um, maybe uh, save some money instead. But the Canucks, they have been on a bit of a run. Seven of their last nine nine have been wins. I mean that sounds great, right? But most of those games, it was the Thatcher Demko show. Well, it's been the Thatcher Demko show for majority of the season, and it doesn't look like it's ending anytime soon. Because the Canucks, they like this is the same thing as last year with Markstrom. There were games where they don't deserve to win, where they're being heavily outplayed, heavily outchanced. Like last night, they were out attempted like what sixty nine to forty six by the worst team in the division kind of cause for concern but thankfully Demko is there because my goodness um bubble Demko is the real deal like I knew this would ha- bubble Demko was a glimpse of what um what was to come but I didn't think it would be this quickly but here we are Demko has given the Canucks hope for the playoffs like the playoff odds are very unlikely still but unfortunately um, actually, but unfortunately, it's uh not gonna happen anyway. But Demko has given them hope. Like, there are some people in Canucks that are saying, "Oh, we could actually make the playoffs. Could we? Could we?" Well, um, the Canucks have the most games in hand. They're like a few point, like a point behind the Flames or something. Oh, but speaking of the Flames, they lost seven one to the Oilers. Could have been worse, right? But. Uh, also, the Flyers lost 9 nothing to the New York Rangers and gave up 7 in the first period. Like, how does that even work? No, actually, the Canucks are 1 point ahead of the Flames and 2 points behind the Montreal Canadiens. So, the next 2 games in Montreal are tough, but are important. And Montreal, they're a good team. So, the Leafs are still in first place by 2 points because the Jets and Oilers are tied. Uh with 38 for second pretty good for both of them especially the Jets and, and the Oilers I did not expect them to be in this position I well like second and third I expected them to finish like fifth and sixth but my predictions never come true right so uh, here we are anyway at this point of the season now with Elias Pedersen out when he comes back in do you put the lotto line together do you just put do you put, hey do you even try to put Hoaglander um with Porvat and Besser instead and have someone else like I don't know Adam top six Adam Gaudet maybe he he's been getting a lot of chances maybe he needs confidence booster Mm, maybe not Jake Vertanen. Heck, do you even put Jimmy VC on the top line? I don't know. I wouldn't do it. I would put the lotto line back together. Because when they're clicking, the Canucks roll. We don't know what, how long Tanner Pearson will be out either. So, um, when it comes to the trade deadline, um, that could kind of hurt his chances. But, for the Canucks, they got two against Montreal... Two against Winnipeg, then Calgary comes to town before 
a six-day break, which is like their bye week. And the season's going by really quickly because before you know it, the regular season will be over and the playoffs will begin. Uh, let's take a look at Demko's numbers here. Yes, I'm sorry, I'm going back to Demko because he is just um, unreal. 9.51 save percentage since March 1st. 9.27 uh, even strength save percentage. 13th best in the NHL. According to ClearSight Analytics, um, Demko is 17.21, second best goal save above in March, which is um, incredible. Um, and speaking of um, incredible, Jacob Marsham was incredible last year, but he was in net for the Flames' 7 1 loss, and Daryl Sutter didn't pull him. And Marsham has a 9.03 save percentage. Maybe he misses Ian Clark. And for the love of God, do not uh, let Ian Clark go to Calgary. Please. Please. Like, that save against in the shootout against Drake Batherson? I thought he hit... The, I thought Batherson hit the post. But no. If you look at the replay, Demko got his, like, his ankle on it. I thought he hit the post at first. And he doesn't even know he saved it. But he'll take he'll take the credit. So, well, thank God for Demko. Thank God for Ian Clark too. But I've been raving about Demko for the last like eight minutes or so, and just going all over the place. And the Canucks also, since we last since the last episode, beat the Oilers in in a two one game, which included that really weird goal from Bo Horvat, like. One of the strangest, ugliest goals you'll ever see. Ugly is actually more appropriate because it looked like a, something out of a rugby scrum. And the puck went up, went into the net. Tyler Myers scored. And then they got people on Twitter saying, oh, the Myers contract could, it could be good. Myers is a good player. Well, it's not like Myers is... Uh, look, I've been harsh on Myers, but I'm not saying Myers is like should be in the AHL or something, though some of you might beg to differ. But six million a year for a guy who's pretty much a bottom pairing defenseman. Uh no. Uh it's not a good contract. Plus we have this year plus three more of Myers. And he's only gonna get worse from from then on out. I mean it's not like he's been horrible, though he has made some very terrible turnovers and some some weird defending techniques like going down on one knee, trying to slide. I mean uh, I get what you're doing, but I don't know if that works. Like, sure, he has provided some offense. Which he scored some big goals. And, well, that's kind of what he is. A, he's, when, I, when I think of Myers, he's pretty much a taller Eric Goodbranson, but with some more offensive upside. I don't know if that's that's a good comparison. I think it is. You, you can come at me if, if you think it's not a good one. But that's what I think of Myers. A taller Goodbranson with a bit more offensive upside. Five years, six million, it's not worth it. Bottom pairing defenseman at, at best. But he's playing top minutes. And like I respect the guy. I I don't like I don't like him as a hockey player, but as a person, I'm sure he's a nice guy. And six foot eight. Like 
he would be a great player 10, 15, 20 years ago. But, um, fortunately, size doesn't really mean much in the NHL. It's more about speed and skill these days. And, yes, he won the Calder in 2010. That was a different time. Same year, Henrik Sedin won the Hart Memorial Trophy and Art Ross Trophy. So, um, four points, four goals, I should say, and 14 points, 33 games. Not bad. Be like, yes, he can provide offensive numbers, but very terrible defensively. Like, probably the, one of the worst Canucks defensemen. I don't have any analytics in front of me because you have to pay for a bunch of those, but if only Ty were still hosting, he'd probably have the numbers for me, but I'm pretty sure he... According to like war and all that stuff, he probably is the worst Canucks defenseman, more likely is. So, um, like that contract is not going to be a good one. I mean, it's, it, it wasn't a good one in first place, but it's going to only get worse from here. So the Canucks, two games against Montreal. Um, probably Demko gets, well, uh, actually gets, um both games i'd like to see him get both games but there's likely it's likely the fact that demko will start tomorrow and then on saturday hopey gets to start and hopey hope he turns it around because he doesn't he hasn't looked good at all and maybe the time off helped him maybe he's working with clark so if that's your demko show it continues, and I can, and let's see what Jimmy VC brings to the lineup, and see where he will fit in. Oh, and Tyler Mott returned to the lineup too, and I'm boy, the Canucks PK and bottom six did miss him. Provides the speed, great work ethic. He's battling for the puck. He did that against the Senators, and even got power play time thanks to Pearson being out. But Mott on power play one, nah, put. Put someone like Hoaglander on there. And I don't know why Hoaglander wasn't out in overtime. His game is pretty much made for this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, he's not the fastest guy, but... um, I sh Could you imagine, like, him with... He's a pretty good shot, and he's got good hands. Imagine him deking players out in on 3-on-3. Three three. I don't know why Green doesn't put Hoaglander out, but puts Brandon Sutter, where, as Malcolm from Point Shot says... Where offense goes to die. Or something like that. I don't remember exactly what he said. So, I don't know why Hoaglander is not out there. You know, over time. It seems like a a uh, no-brainer. So, um, enough about the Canucks for now. Because we'll, we'll have a Canucks and Comet Center guest. As you can tell by the title. But NFL Free Agency is underway. And the Seattle Seahawks. The Russell Wilson rumors. Uh, it's all quiet, thankfully. Apparently the Chicago Bears, they were offering something big for Russell Wilson, but the Seahawks said nah. And they don't really have any interest in trading him anyway. It's, it's rumored three first round picks, a third, and two starters. But uh, the Bears, they did get their quarterback. No, it's not Deshaun Watson, who apparently is having some off-field controversy um, because he's being accused of sexual assault by three women. I won't get into that. But the Bears, they got their quarterback in Andy Dalton. 
yeah, Andy Dalton. So, they got, so after dealing with Mitch Trubisky for the last few years, second overall pick, I almost forgot. And um, after their very aggressive pursuit, they decided to go with Andy Dalton. Maybe it's a good thing they didn't go after Watson because of the off-field stuff. 33 with a one-year $10 million deal. Pretty average quarterback. I guess um, it would be having Trubisky if you're a Bears fan. I don't know. So the Cowboys gave Prescott an extension. The Saints brought back back James Winston and they gave like 150 million to Taysom Hill because Drew Brees because of Drew Brees is now retired uh like I guess they believe in Taysom Hill as the future quarterback the successor to Drew Brees but that's quite a uh, big contract I mean he's 30 He's pretty much a backup. So. That's. That's. No it's 140 million. That's quite the contract. I'm not sure if this will age well. And I'm probably going to be wrong. Because I'm always wrong. The Patriots. They were spending. With. um, Their cap space. And they. Didn't want. I'm pretty sure. Bell. Well. Belichick didn't like missing the playoffs and going 7-9. Like, they've added a bunch of guys. They brought back Van Noy. And, hold on. Let me get a list here. Stupid ad. Got Johnny Smith. Full full four-year, 50 million. Tight end. Stupid. Stupid ad. Hunter Henry, which, that's a good one. Matt Juden, Jalen Mills, Nelson Aguilar. I mean, I'll, I mean, he he's known for dropping stuff, but I don't mind him as an Eagles. I didn't mind him when he was with the Eagles, but he can he can drop. He makes these really big drops. That's to name a few. But going closer to home, the Seattle Seahawks, they were quiet, and the Wilson rumors had me had me and many fans. On edge. David Moore signed with the Panthers. Um, Gr- Shaquille Griffin went to Jacksonville. I mean, a, I mean Jacksonville Jaguars. They're pretty much the Calgary Flames. Well, no, what the Calgary Flames are to the Vancouver Canucks. So, um, yeah. Well, I don't know what Jack because they even got Brian Schottenheimer, Puna Ford. Um, the Seahawks signed him. They also signed Gerald Everett from the Rams for a one-year $10 million deal. I like that. Chris Carson remains a free agent, too. But back to Everett. He, he's a pretty, I like, I like him. He's a good tight end. And the Seahawks need a tight end with, uh, Greg Olson retiring. And he actually, um, Everett's a guy who gets open. And uh, he moves pretty well. And he he's a good blocker too. And they also made a trade for the offensive line. For, for the Las Vegas, not Oakland anymore. I'm, I, 
development. I'm still trying to um get used to that because I keep forgetting they moved to Vegas. Gabe Jackson, Ve uh, Vegas Raiders guard, was traded for a fifth. And of course, Wilson was frustrated with the offensive line, and Jackson is a pretty good offensive liner. Hasn't give up, didn't even allow a single sack. Like only two, like two quarterback hits, but he's only allowed fourteen and a half sacks over a seven-year career. In twenty nineteen, he had a career high of four and a half. Two years remaining on his contract. Pretty good. Seahawks. Not great, but good so far in free agency. And what are they going to do with Chris Carson? I'm not sure if they'll bring him back. They've lost a bunch of guys to free agency. So, um, we'll see what they could they do. Maybe the Seahawks have another big move left in them. We'll see. We'll see. And... Let's move to football of the other kind. Chelsea have defeated Atletico Madrid. No, not defeated. They battered Atletico Madrid from battered from back to front in the second leg of their Champions League round of 16 to advance to the quarterfinals for the first time since 2014. Yes, Jim Benning has been the Canucks general manager. For as long as Chelsea have not made it to the last 16, maybe this is a sign here. If you're on the if you're on the anti-Benning crew, maybe. But not just the first leg, but in the second leg, they battered Atletico Madrid. Atletico barely got any shots. I think they only had one on Mendy or two. And that goal, the first goal, showed why they spent they the money was spent. Havertz. Breaks up the free kick to play on the free kick. Timo Werner just runs down the wing and makes no mistake passing it to Hakim Ziyech, who buried it. And that's Ziyech's first goal since October. And that was just that was just beautiful. And Emerson even scored after coming off the bench with an assist from Christian Pulisic. Like Rudiger, Zuma, like Tuchel has really re revolutionized this team. The defense looks so much better. Rudiger, like he's not making these mistakes anymore. He got, he got a guy sent off. Forgot his name. Yeah, he's just trolling the opposition because Atletico likes to do that sort of thing, and Rudiger beat them at their own game. Uh, Reese James and Marcus Alonso. Like Marcus Alonso still isn't a very good defender, but he hasn't looked too bad under Tuchel. Like, like he turned him to prime Roberto Carlos or something. Like it was f fun to see. Like Havertz and Werner and Ziyech, the connection, and Angolo Conte. People thought he was finished. People thought he couldn't defend anymore. But he proved why he's the best central defensive midfielder in the world, and Tuchel reminded us why. Like just. Making interception after interception, pass after pass, doing Conte things. And Tuchel said that they want to be a team that no one wants to play against. And looks like that's the case now. Ch his style of play, it's great. Respect Thomas Tuchel. He went to the Champions League final last year with PSG. And 
hey, there's a good chance they could do it again. He could do it again this year. But that depends on the draw. And I can't believe it. I'm, I couldn't watch the concentrate on the Canucks game for a bit after that Chelsea win. Because they just dominated the best team in the Spanish league. Atletico Madrid. They made Atletico Madrid look like, I don't know, look like a League 2 team or something. That's, that was just a dominating performance. And they've, they've got the FA Cup with Sheffield. And they got West Brom in the league, Palace, Brighton. Favorable games before like the big t- another big test would be Man City in May but or West Ham late in April but uh oh man anyway in terms of who Chelsea can draw in the UCL quarterfinals anyone but Bayern Munich really anyone but Bayern Munich because Bayern Munich you know how good they are just the best team in Europe. I think they're in the same would be in the same pot. Like Dortmund would be an interesting one. That would be a, a Tuchel against his old team. Well, they're struggling this year, but Erling Holland is a goal-scoring machine. Could even draw some fellow countrymen like Liverpool or Man City cuz Man City always go out in the quarters, but don't count them out this year cuz they're still a good team. Heck, they could even draw Porto who beat Juventus. Uh, like Juventus are a mess, and it looks like Ronaldo Ronaldo should leave Juventus at the end of the season. Maybe it was a mistake for him to sign there, because they rely on him way too much. Um, they could also draw Real Madrid and Eden Hazard, still one of the best in the Champions in the Champions League. Um, but they'll they'll be a tough test. And then there's Paris Saint-Germain, Tuchel's old club. They still have Kylian Mbappe and, ne- and Neymar. But that, that would be another big test. So I'm fine with anyone Chelsea can draw. Because this team still has not lost under Thomas Tuchel. And has only given up two, two goals in all competitions. And they look... They look like an organized, a well-structured team. And a team that other clubs don't want to play against. Anyway, um, let's go into break. And our ne- our featured guest is Cody Severson of Comets Harvest and the CreaseCast podcast. He'll be talking Canucks and Comets coming up next. Do you have trouble finding your balls because there is a bush in the way? Fear not. You can get rid of that bush by using the discount code Aliens20 to get 20% off your online order from Manscaped.com. Manscaped can help you cut down that bush so you can find your balls again safely without going nuts over it. That's 20% off your online order with the promo code Aliens20 so you can get rid of that bush and find your balls again. Same place, it's safe to say We're fucking 
right, guys, joining us this week for the feature guest is Cody Severson. He is the creator of Comets Harvest and one of two of the Latch and the Crease podcast. Cody, how are you doing today? Dude, I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, no worries. Been wanting to have you on for quite some time, actually. Hmm. And let's start with how did you get into hockey and writing? Yeah, I've been... I've been down with hockey for a long time. Uh, took a little break in my teenage years. I don't really know why. I just kind of stopped like following up with hockey. And then after the Canucks Cup run, like I just like decided I was going to start watching as much as possible. And uh, then a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, I really want to like do more than just watch. I want to talk about it. I want to write about it. And then I saw a little bit of an opening with uh, video stuff for uh, the Utica Comets and the AHL. And I was like, ah, I can do that. I'm good at media and whatnot. So why don't I splice two interests together as a hobby and uh, kind of just like st- started rolling from there, basically. And here I am guesting on a bunch of podcasts. Uh, so it's pretty neat. What made you want to start Comets Harvest, which is also a listener question from Andy? Man, uh Originally, it was called The Farmies, ah. which was like a play on uh, uh, Jason Botchford's uh, armies and whatever. And I thought it was like just a, kind of like a funny pun. And then it just kind of, I don't know, I just like really felt like talking about the, the farm team because I didn't feel the coverage of the team at the time was expansive enough. There's obviously like like a lot of great talented writers that are out there doing work on covering prospects and they're very focused on individual players or just kind of on like a like a broad sense like this is what happened this is the points this is how many goals they've scored yada yada but I felt there could be so much more when it comes to coverage like video analysis uh, play analysis uh, data and stuff like that and so I figured you know, like I'm like a big, like data guy. I love playing around with Excel too. And so I just kind of like made sense to start the comments harvest and try and merge all three to give a completely different look at a farm team that kind of wasn't getting the kind of coverage that I would have been interested in, frankly. Yep. Data video. Yeah. You pretty much do it all with comments harvest. Yeah. And Andy also asked, how did you meet Latchland Irvine and start Latchin the crease? Uh, you know, I actually got a DM from Locke, I think, I don't know, like a couple months ago. And he was just like, Hey man, like, um, I'm looking at rebranding for the 2021 season. Uh, would you be interested in coming on? And I kind of just like took that as like a invite, like full time. And so I was like, yeah, man, I'll do it with you. I got, I got nothing better to do. And I, I don't really write about the Canucks. I mostly write about the the farm team so i was like ah this would be like a great outlet to actually voice and talk about the nhl team instead of just the ahl team and uh yeah so we've been doing that since the start of this season in january and it's been going really well and can you take me through your botcher project night because i believe you were the (laughs) second recipient of the botcher project and what was also your reaction when you found out you were selected man uh it was kind of surreal to be picked because that at that point I had only been writing about the farm team for like one season, like maybe like a season and a bit. So I was completely unexpected. Like I applied, but I was like, man, there's like so many 
good writers out there and like kids coming up with BCIT that like the chances are like I'm probably going to be like last on the list and I was picked fourth which was like super wild and uh man like that entire day was just like really rad like I get to meet a bunch of the writers people in media and everyone was like super warm and inviting and like really helpful and like basically dealt with me as I asked a bunch of questions that probably were very uh silly and like basic basic stuff but everyone was super nice and then the game i actually ended up uh covering was uh the vegas golden knights game where josh levo had his knee shattered and chris tanev won it in overtime and like i feel like i lucked out because like after that they went on their like epic 14-0-1 stretch that pretty much cemented their run into the playoffs for that year. So like, I got, I like lucked out super hard and like, fortunately, like my, my writing uh, got me into the Botchford project and I've met a lot of great people in media who've like, you know, I kind of keep up with and like talk with like outside of just writing and outside of Twitter. And like, yeah, it's been like a huge opportunity and like, I'm really excited that apparently they're going to try and start that up again uh, for next season or, or whenever they're allowed to uh, have more people in the, the press box for Canucks games. So that's like really great because like, I would, I like, I'm a big fan of what they were, what they're trying to do with uh, mentorship and stuff when it comes to Vancouver writing. Um, and yeah, I'm, I was blessed to be, fourth pick like i never would have anticipated that in my life that i'd be fourth pick in anything so that's really cool and uh yeah i i think i've recommended many people on here that i see their writing uh for canucks army or uh i think the canuck way or wherever it is and been like yeah like i like your stuff like go out apply i don't care just do it like it's a great opportunity and if they pick you like i'll put in a good word (laughs) oh yeah it's was a must have been a surreal experience to be it was it was very surreal because like for me like like i said like i'd only been writing for so long about the canucks and or like the farm team and to be all of a sudden like thrust in this position where like your piece is going to go on nhl.com like the canucks actual website and like reach like an audience that i never would have expected like from my own blog like that's just totally surreal kind of like a bit of imposter syndrome a bit to go from you know 200 clicks or 200 views on a single blog post to suddenly like having thousands uh reaching your stuff and yeah just totally surreal but like totally worth it and just like an amazing experience altogether all right let's talk about some some hockey and your thoughts on the game last night because it was once again the demco show yeah it's uh when we talk about it on uh, the crease cast, like we, we struggle to kind of break it down, like on a player by player basis, because at the end of the day, like, as we kind of talked about um, before recording, like it's basically the Demco show. It is, it is him putting the team on his back while the team in front of him very much struggles to do the little things correctly for a full 60 minutes. They come out looking good for the first 20 and as we saw it in the uh, game against Ottawa, they gave up, they squandered a two goal lead against, again, the Ottawa senators, like, uh, like one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, and that's after giving up 46 shots in their previous game. And so 
a party who wants to be like, oh, well, you know, Niels Hoglander looked good here and there. Uh, Brock Besser is like playing out of his mind. But at the end of the day, just as a team, it's hard to evaluate them like in a positive light at all, just because they're getting dominated by a team that by all accounts, uh, they should be destroying. (laughs) And it hasn't looked even remotely close to the blowouts that they had against them in that one four game win streak uh, earlier in the season. So it's been like that game last night. I, I don't know how you feel about it, but I thought it was just painful to watch. It, it was like a slow train wreck basically where you waited for them to lose. Yeah. I mentioned this before, like uh, in the previous segment that it was kind of frustrating because Ottawa was the worst team in the division and you were getting out chance like what? 69 to 46. Yeah, and, exactly. Like, and they blew a two nothing lead for two straight games, and which yeah. is very concerning. Yeah, especially like if it was a like the Toronto game, for example, where they scored twice in like a thirteen second span, and they went from a a one nothing lead to a two one loss. Like, th- okay, that's Toronto. That's like like a surefire top team in this division. But when you are like getting above 950 goaltending and you're getting goals out of your top line and you're still getting out chance. Like, what did you say? 69 to 46 or something. 46. Yeah. So 69 to 46. And that's with like your top line at its best and your uh, goalie playing like Vesna caliber level and providing you like backstopping that, like you like we're getting, from Markstrom all last season and it's still barely enough to beat the league worst. That's a tough look. And uh, I don't know what the games against Montreal are going to look like, but man, it's hard to be enthusiastic or positive about the team's chances. Yep. Totally. And they also picked up Jimmy VZ on waivers before the game. And uh, how do you like him and where do you see him fit into the lineup? Well, it just depends on like the injury situation, right? Because like things are obviously kind of, they're obviously in a very awkward phase where lines are constantly being shaken up after the first period. Like you'll get the the usual looks where it's Besser, Hoglander, Miller, or Besser, Hoglander, Horvat as your top line. And then after the first 20 minutes, Travis Green will realize, or realize uh, no one's clicking anymore. Nothing's working. So I need to shake it up. So then you were seeing Miller out with McEwen and Godet. You were seeing uh, Miller out with God. I don't know. Yeah, I think he was out with Maud at one point with uh, Besser, like the line juggling. It just kind of goes nuts. Apparently VC and Miller have like history together or like they're close friends or something somehow. Yeah, they are. Uh, I'm assuming that's from their time with the Rangers. So it would make sense that he immediately slots into like a top six role with Miller to try and balance that out. And maybe the team hopes he can like recapture some of his like early seat, like early results he had with New York and just kind of be like a really bonafide, like middle six forward. And when you look at the, like the current lineup and the way that they juggle the lines, like it isn't far fetched to think he would automatically get like a top nine, top middle six position, especially when like, (laughs) when they're (laughs) taking JT Miller and being like, Hey man, uh, we're going to stick you with two fourth liners, uh, try not to get scored on. And he just like gets like super frustrated the entire time and nothing positive happens the entire time he's playing hockey. So I'm hoping VC can kind of be that like grounding force, uh, 
worst case scenario, he is a productive bottom six forward that has speed, which as Canucks fans have seen with the additions of Mark Michaelis and Jace Howerluck, speed is everything in the bottom six. And yeah, the last couple games or last stretch of games, I should say, they've looked bad as a team, but you can't say they've looked that slow when it comes to the forward groups. Sutter and obviously like Roussel aside, but you take those guys out and you add in like Michaelis, Howerlock, VC, like suddenly your bottom six isn't as lethargic or plodding as it's looked in earlier games from this season. Yep, that's fair. And what do you think the the top six would look like when Pedersen eventually comes back? Do you put the lotto line back together? I think knowing Travis Green, he will probably go to what's like his safest option, which will be Miller, uh, Pedersen, Besser. And if they can't kind of capture that spark that they had earlier, I wonder if they keep Miller as that 3C and have him rotating around with like the likes of VC, Godet, and uh, McEwen, assuming he slides into the lineup still. But because like I've liked Miller at center personally, um, it's just obviously it's hard to imagine Pedersen centering a line without like a two like a two way physical forward like JT Miller. Like Besser's really good, and he's obviously been really great on the forecheck for the Canucks this season. But asking him to do that while getting the hard matchups that Pedersen is going to face while on road trips like this, I don't know if it's going to be conducive to on ice results. Um, so yeah, I think what, like knowing green safest option will happen first, but likely maybe long-term you look at having your three best center options actually lining your middle. All right. That's, that's fair. Miller hasn't looked too bad at center and I guess he should stay there for the time being. Yeah, he should. I mean, he said in the past that he feels comfortable at center. And so if you can get him comfortable at center and maybe he starts taking on the tough matchups with Jimmy VC and like whoever Godet or Sutter or whatever, it doesn't matter. But Miller is obviously your best chance at having like matchups done well. Um, the Horvat Pearson combo, like is always like a go-to. That's why like Besser and Pedersen is obviously like a go-to you would stick with anyway. So just like long-term, if you can try and find a balance or strike a balance where Miller is a three C and the tough matchups are split between Horvat Pearson and Miller and VC, like that's a good look for the Canucks forward group. But as we know with Pedersen in the lineup, the Canucks have really struggled to find a combination that works where they can distribute and uh, handle tough matchups amongst their forward groups. Yep. And since Demko is on a roll right now, should he get the full back-to-back against Montreal or should they just rest him for one of the, one of the games? Uh, I mean, it would make sense to just ride the hot hand as much as possible. But I look at what happened with Markstrom and Calgary where they rode him like every game basically. And his body broke down um, for like my personal reasons. I would, obviously rest Demko as much as possible because if you're if you're actually going to try and make the playoffs you cannot be you know two weeks away from 
uh, the playoff lock or whatever, and suddenly Demko goes down with a leg injury because then that just brutalizes your your draft odds. It brutalizes your trade deadline, the way you approached it. Like, it screws up everything. So you need to be able to get Holtby in some games so that you're not just going to be barraging Demko night after night with 40-plus 40, 40 saves, right? Uh, so you, I would assume Holtby gets either the first game because they want Demko to be backstopping an exhausted Canucks team on Saturday, or they do the inverse and they take their best chance by riding the hot hand on Friday. And they basically call Saturday a wash and throw Holtby in then either way. Like I I'm sure they'll come away with at least a point and that'll probably be the one where Demko does start but I don't think you run them back to back because like I said, I think you run the risk of just, just absolutely destroying him. <laughs> yeah. The Calgary example with Marsham is, yeah, that, that pretty much is a great picture. Cause he started like what? Seven straight games. And yeah. Then he got hurt. Yeah. It came, comes back and he apparently was in the net last night for that seven, one loss. And, and they kept him in, which yeah, is, they kept him in, which is just insane. Yeah. <laughs> like take the guy out of his misery. I, I've man, I was laughing so hard at his post-game comment where he was like, I was shit. And in my head, I heard the uh, Luongo, uh, my, my contract, contract sucks. sucks. Cause I was I like, your tweet. yeah. Cause it's like, that's exactly what that might as well have been where it's just like, well, I'm stuck here now. I, I asked for the no movement clause. I'm not moving now. And the, if the coach wants to stick me in net for all seven goals against there's literally nothing I can do about it. Now I'm, I've made my bed. I'm here and I'm not going anywhere for a while. And another player is Adam Godden. And do you prefer him to be at center or on the wing? Uh, at center, he was fine last season because he was sheltered pretty heavily and he was playing like on a line, mostly with like Roussel who was actually playing like, okay he wasn't bad but he was fine this season they can't really afford to shelter anybody uh they were already trying to do that when Levy or Chatfield was in the lineup and it was like disastrous for the team and they've tried to make it so that Godet isn't getting such sheltered competition and he's struggled pretty mightily at center but I think for like someone with his size and his skating, like I don't see why he wouldn't be a good fit as just a winger full time. So that's why I'm also like, I'm completely for like a line of Miller VC and Gaudet because that's like a good strong four checking line. And that has like a good shooter on it. Like God, a great shooter. And I don't know if you want to develop Gaudet to be another Brandon Sutter who isn't much of a distributor, but he's a good four checker who just scores for himself. Like you want a guy who's a good playmaker. And if you move him to the wing, then there isn't that much pressure for him to be a four checker and a distributor. He can just kind of be a four checker and a guy that scores as much as possible being distributed by VC or Miller. So that's way less pressure on him. And I think having like a veteran, pre- the veteran presence of a Miller, like uh, as his center, uh, probably takes a bit of the defensive pressure off of him as well. So I'm, I'm all for him as a winger. You might as well try. He, he's still like a really cheap forward. Uh, so you might as well try it. This is the, this is the season to try all the weird stuff you can, because I mean, with their current cap situation, you might as well see what you can get out of everybody. Um, 
we we've pitched it on uh, the crease cast several times, but try Myers as a fourth line forward a couple games. So you can get uh, Chatfield or you levy some more games. Why not? Just get weird with it. Like who cares? Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of looking like a lost season anyway. Just like, like you can just tell that all it's going to take is Demko regressing to like, uh, like above average, but okay. Goaltending stats, like, like a nine Oh five or something. And that's all it's going to take for this team to just start hemorrhaging goals against and start losing terribly. And so it's like, if it's at that point where you need nine fifty plus goaltending, you might as well just call this season a wash look to next year, try and shed what you can for as many picks and assets as possible and just get weird with it. Try, try Godet on the first line with Patterson and Besser. Like, why not? Who cares? You know what I mean? Like do whatever yeah. you got. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much playoffs look very out of reach. So why not try stuff like Myers, the fourth line for Godet as a first liner or Hughes and Schmidt together. Yeah, something. exactly. Load up where you can try crazy shit. At the very least, you'll get some talking points for the media other than, well, this team sure is in trouble. You know what I mean? Yep. The so-called negative media. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> and uh, you mentioned Ole Levy, and I honestly would like to see him in the lineup more as part of, let's try everything at this point. Um, would you like to see him in the lineup more? Uh, I would like to get some more looks at him, but I want them to not shelter him. Like, I know that's like a bit of a contradictory thing. Like you can't put a guy who can't handle tough matchups into lose, lose situations. But at this point, like he's in his D like his draft six year. Like he, like they need to know what they have in you levy moving forward. Like they need to resign him at the end of this year. So keeping him on the bench and not in like, you know, Manitoba or wherever um, you need to get him some games so that you can see like at the end of this year, if everything goes to hell, like, do we have like a number six left wing or left lefty, or do we just have a kid who, you know, despite his best efforts is at best going to be a seventh D only. Um, and especially like when you look at like the Alex Edler thing, like he's getting very old. He is looking very, very, very slow for his age and they can't keep platooning him with 25 plus minutes a night because he gets beaten all the time on the outside. He takes holding penalties like crazy because he's, he can't pivot anymore. And that's just a product of age. So for you, a levy and the team, like you can't, if you can't re-sign Edler because he just simply can't do the job anymore at his age, you need something to fill that void. And I'm a big fan of Jack Rathbone, but the coaches didn't trust him enough to even give him a single game this season. And if you can't also trust what's supposed to be your steady, reliable number seven in you levy to get in games against the worst team in the NHL, in the Ottawa Senators, like then what does that say for your future outlook? You're just going to commit yourself to using what little cap you have to signing another established uh, left shot defenseman. Like you got to, you got to figure it out soon what you've got in some of these kids and you got to start giving you a levy games. Even if he flounders, if he sinks, it doesn't matter. They just need to know what they've got basically. Yep. All right. Should give him some some chances to see what he's made of. And apparently, yeah. uh, kind of 
dark timing is the Comets game that was supposed to happen today has been postponed. Uh, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow's yeah. game. Tomorrow's game, actually. Yeah, so tomorrow's game was supposed to go on. It was going to be their first game in over a week because last week's games on their weekend were uh, postponed due to, uh, I think it was Binghamton and some other team like played a full period and then had to cancel it because someone had a negative test or a, or sorry, a positive test or a uh, inconclusive test. And so they had to stop mid game. So then the whole AHL on the East coast was like, uh, let's maybe take a step back. And now seven days later on the eve of what should be the restart to their season, uh, they have to shut down again or they have to shut down again. Apparently they weren't practicing at all this entire past like five or six or seven days and tomorrow was supposed to be their first game back and no dice. Um, I guess there's more concern with the Buffalo Sabres farm team organization that someone uh, tested positive again. So the Comets were basically left screwed again and it's going to be another day, maybe another week before they get into game action. They're supposed, they're tentatively scheduled to play Saturday but I wonder if the concern about possibly the members of the Utica Comets having contracted COVID will take precedence over getting in game action on Saturday. And then that means two full weeks of the farm team having not played and basically sitting in isolation. So it's a uh, man, it's, it's rough going in the Comets in the AHL landscape. That's for sure. Yep, I'm actually taking a look at it right now, and yeah, there's been a positive test, and it's been a rough go. Yeah, but, straight up. Um, let's um, someone that should be getting time in Utica whenever they resume is Michael DiPietro, and he's apparently oh, it's mind-boggling that he hasn't played a game of hockey in over a year. It's man, like I, I guess because like the last year because of COVID, like time is kind of just like evaporated from my brain and, and I've not been able to catch up with like what happened when, but what the, the other day when I saw that it was the year anniversary of when, um, when uh, Rudy Gobert like tested positive and all the league shut down, like I couldn't really believe it. And then the other tweets started coming out saying that uh, Michael DiPietro's last game was March uh, 12th or March 16th of last year. And I like my, my jaw hit the floor. I was like, how how did they not get a bona fide third string goalie so that they could get this kid games in the AHL? Like, it is such a waste of his year to not play at all. And everyone has said it. Like Kevin Woodley said it. Like you can practice till you're blue in the teeth, but it doesn't matter if you're not getting actual game situations or the ability to practice what you've been taught in real time situations. And I mean, at this point, there's only so many weeks until the trade deadline. Uh, There's not that many chances to pick up a third string goalie. Uh, They need to get them games. Like there's no ifs or ands or about it. Like they got to do it. It's, 
it's like kind of like sad. Like the kid like was unreal for Utica last year. He put the team on his back so many nights. It's exactly what we're seeing now with Demko this year. It's what we saw with Markstrom last year. It's just a goaltender that was making up for like the defensive deficiencies of the skating group. And to see him go from like a really amazing, incredible gear where he was impressing everyone in the organization and fans alike to then basically just waste away on a taxi squad running uh, practices and goalie drills for himself. Like that, that really sucks. And I, I hate to see it because he was one of the guys that I was able to talk to on my Botchford project night, super nice kid. Like by all accounts, goalies don't ever talk to media on game days. So the fact that he took time out of like his routine to speak with me about like AHL shot volume and shot pressure and all that for some guy he's never heard of like that, that speaks volumes to his character and like what a good kid he is. And man, just like everyone in the hashtag Canucks Twitter sphere should be wagging their fingers at the Canucks organization and being like, get this kid some games, get him some work, like let him, let him test what he's been taught by Ian Clark. Otherwise, it's just, you're just burning a year off of his ELC for absolutely nothing. This is hurting his his development. Like, get the man some games. Yeah, like straight up. Like, what are you doing? Just, like, it's not poor. that hard. There's there's seven AHL teams in the North Division. Like, are you telling me like you can't negotiate with Manitoba or um, with the Stockton Heat to say, hey, we need to get Michael DiPietro a games. Like, are your goalies tired? We just need to get him at least a game. Like, it's not that hard. I know, they can and, do it. And I fear, like, I fear um, that his game might, like, deteriorate when he, come, when he eventually does come back because he's been out for so Yeah, long. like, he's going to be so not used to, like, real, real-time game situations because it's been so long since he last faced – like an, a legitimate shot that counted towards a win or a loss. You know what I mean? Like got to get him games. That's, that's the bottom line. It it can't be delayed further. They gotta, they gotta get this kid playing. And speaking of the Utica comments. So uh, I know Jack Rathbone is before, like before the shutdown, he's, he, he looked pretty good. And so did Jonah Gadjevich, who apparently is the comments leading scorer. Yeah. Um, like, is there anyone else that has stuck out to you? Um, I would say uh, Will Lockwood has stood out a lot to me. He He's only got three points right now in nine games, which, like, you know, you see that and you're like, oh, God, it's just another failed development or prospect that's not really playing. But his underlying metrics are really good. Like, he has one of the best on-ice uh, Corsi differentials. He's got a great, like, on-ice shooting percentage. He kills penalties. He's like got amazing speed for a forward. Like he clearly has NHL caliber skating and he's got like an NHL caliber motor. It's just like the, the actual offensive side of the game hasn't come to him in spades as like, say a Jonah Gadjevich who is scoring a ton in spite of his lackadaisical and kind of lethargic plotting skating but Will Lockwood, like for my money's worth, like if they if the Canucks were going to call up like a forward, I would almost venture to say he stands a better shot of getting a look purely because his skating is such a clear separator over everyone else on the forward group. 
Uh, Colin's got okay skating. It's nothing to write home about. Lucas Yashik as well has got like a really good two-way forward, but his skating isn't like, you know, turning heads at all. But Will Lockwood's skating is really something. It reminds me of Zach McEwen's breakout season where he was skating in such a way and scoring so much that the team had no choice but to call him up and give him a look. And even though his defensive stats and his like defensive numbers in the AHL like were awful, his skating and his offense is what carried him and forced the team to give him a look. I would say that Lockwood is kind of the inverse where his skating is NHL level clearly. His defensive and two-way game is clearly like above par of most of his peers at the AHL level, but his offensive stats aren't there whatsoever. He's like the opposite of, of McEwen basically. So if you needed a guy to come up to your bottom six in the NHL, like I would think he'd actually warrant a look just because I've loved all the little things. And as we know, this coach and this management team love their little things. <laughs> yep. They do, especially with a guy who, who uh, apparently gets paid $6 million. <laughs> Yeah, you, you know, little things per 60, okay? so Yeah, little things per 60 is off the charts. Yeah. And a <laughs> player that I've really been interested in is Jet Wu. How's, how's he been in Utica? Jet Wu's look really solid. He, his skatings look great. I mean, not great, but it's, it's been perfectly fine. He isn't getting beat on the outside like, say, a Yu Levy. He's been completely stable. Uh, his on ice, the save percentage at 5v5 with him on the ice is like one of the best on the team. He's really good at breaking up passes, breaking up two on ones. He's got a really like underrated offensive game too. Like he's constantly like just through volume alone, setting up passes, setting up shots, uh, break, like a good clean breakout pass. Um, the only problem for him is he's really struggled to actually earn points when he's on the ice. Uh, he's been on ice for, I think, six goals, four at 5v5, but he's, he's somehow been like like really snake-bitten and that he's never picked up a point on any of the goals that have been scored with him on the ice. And like he penalty kills, like he, he fights. He hasn't like got an actual fight, but he, like, he sticks up for his teammates. He's very... BXL like in that way he's just clearly missing that little scoring finesse but I like his game I'm hoping the production side will come around eventually but there's a lot of little like same thing with Lockwood there's a lot of little things to like about his game and I just look at like a player like Jalen Chatfield who after you know several years in the AHL with like like consistently diminished uh production stats like he had 12 points in his debut season then it was six points and then three in his last and i think if a guy like that in spite of his offensive chops can earn a shot with the nhl club that values little things values the hustle values the skating then I'm not even concerned at all that he hasn't been able to find his way in the back of the net yet this year because he's doing all of those little things so well that 
you can you have time for him. He's only on the first year of his ELC, so they have plenty of time to see what he can do and develop into. And uh, for my money's worth, he's been one of their better defensemen. So I'm excited to see what he can do as the season progresses. That's great because I don't I don't know why I really like Jet Wu and I really like his game, and um, that's great to hear. So we yeah. got more of. Uh, more, more of Andy's questions. Uh, he asks, "Do you follow Caleb or stuff Caleb said on Twitter?" Oh, of course. If 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 you're listening to this podcast, which you should be, um, you also have to be following Caleb on Twitter because the stuff that Caleb says on at stuff Caleb said is amazing. The guy manages to say just some of the most brilliant things. His brain works in such a way that. I don't even understand or fathom how it works. It, he's a great dude. Just so positive, overwhelmingly positive. You got to follow him. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm the most positive guy on Canucks Twitter. And if you want yeah. positivity, he's your guy. Yeah. Just- the only guy that can spin any, any kind of negativity into a positive, even if it makes absolutely zero sense. So, yeah, big fan. <laughs> yep. Uh, he also asks, outside of hockey, what are your other interests? And, like, what do you do in your free time? Uh, my free time is hockey. <laughs> that is the thing. Like, uh, outside, like, after, like, recapping games, I will track them, which takes, like, an unholy amount of time. And then there's entering it, um, fixing my stats worksheets to make sure it all makes sense. And then writing stories about them when I finally got a good enough data set. Uh, other than that, it's basically watching movies or playing video games. But uh, during the season, like that plus work doesn't leave a lot of free time for other hobbies. So <laughs> I, it's tough to say that I have other hobbies because this hockey one and Utica Comets one takes up so much of my time. <laughs> and he also asks... Did you go to the school where the movie John Tucker Must Die was filmed? Yes, I was um, a featured extra in John Tucker Must Die. It was the easiest job I've ever had in my entire life. Really? I uh, I worked I, like my my neighbor at the time was the she was like an extras casting uh, agent or something like that. She'd like always cast extras for like Vancouver productions, and she saw me and a couple friends hanging out outside our house and was like, "Hey." we need some uh, punk rock emo looking kids for this movie we're filming at your high school. Uh, do you want to work? And uh, we were like, how much is the pay? And uh, I think it was like, I don't know. It was like 17 bucks an hour or something. Like it was like just at the time, like an outrageous number for basically doing nothing. And uh, got there at five thirty in the morning and worked until eight o'clock at night because I was, technically over the age limit where you were allowed to work overtime. So you weren't considered a minor. So I ended up making like 800 bucks for a single day of work and ended up, ended up getting more uh, screen time than a buddy of mine who worked every single day of his summer on set. (laughs) I, I held it over him, me and my other friend who's also in the shot. You can see it on my Twitter. I, I tweeted it. I don't even know how long ago, but my buddy who's in the shot, we always like for like a good, the entire summer and the year following, we held it over him that we barely worked, got paid like a decent amount, like, like 
left and still had more screen time than he did. So yeah, follow me on Twitter and uh, I'll try and dig it out and retweet it because it's uh, it's a really funny story and it's just it's great. Yeah. Now I want to see the movie and oh, don't don't ever actually watch the movie because it is. I mean, I don't know if you if you like I'll just, pinpo- I'll just pause or whatever. at the point where where you appear and then. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. There. I got, I've got a, I've got a timestamp it somehow so people can tune in for when I show up and then just turn it off. <laughs> oh yeah, and I've always wanted to be an extra too. So yeah, yeah, it's apparently really easy. You just have to like, yeah, just I don't know, just show up, there. basically, show yeah, up. And hang up. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> and the final question from Andy: Hard or soft tacos? I am a big soft taco guy. Huh. I. I don't know. Hard tacos are all right, but I find them to be too messy. And I'm a big, I'm a big fan of wraps. So soft taco all the way. I'm both. Although I eat more hard tacos, but they're really, it's messy. Yeah. So soft is a good alternative. Indeed. So Cody, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. And uh, if you haven't already follow Cody on Twitter at Cody Severson, pretty simple. So yeah. um, thanks for coming on the show and, Hopefully we can do this sometime again in the future. Oh yeah, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for the questions and uh, glad to talk uh, NHL and AHL hockey with you. Yeah. Sounds good. And stick around for the best and worst of Twitter. Let me ask you something. Would you like to listen to a sports podcast and learn how to turn $1 into a five figure sum? Ever heard of the word parlay before? Then join me, Malcolm Ert, the host of Point Shot every week. We talk about the news and notes from around the NHL, focusing on the only team we really care about, though, our Vancouver Canucks, as well as my favorite new topic, sports betting. Catch us wherever you find your podcasts. Okay, time for the best and worst of Twitter, where I take a look at the best and worst tweets of the week. Okay, let's start with one for the best. Somebody named Idris Elbow. Is that his last name? Elbow. At You'll Love Chris tweets, if Twitter around in the 90s, name a famous event slash moment that definitely would have had the timeline in shambles. Then Monica Lewinsky herself tweets, quote tweets saying, not playing. If you know anything about history, Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton, you know why. Uh, one for worst, Mike Gold at Mike T. Gold tweets, question mark continued. It shows a graphic from Sportsnet saying, what is an Irish name? Sean Monaghan. What's, or what's in an Irish name? Sean Monaghan, Irish. Matt Manachain, meaning monk. Sam Bennett, means little blessed one. Noah Hannafin, in Gaelic, means storm or fury. But then there's Milan Lucic, not Irish, but played in Boston. Like, how does that even correlate? Yeah, yes, uh, uh, Boston is a very Irish city, home of... Uh, yeah, the Boston Celtics, I guess that's where they got the team name and Dropkick Murphys. But that doesn't count as Irish. Thomas Drance of The Athletic tweets, Just said out loud at my TV, Oh wow, so offside, daddy. And my wife poked her head into the room and looked at me like I was an insane person. Yeah, I would too. Like, Drance, what the hell? I don't know if this is best or worst or, or worst. Hans at S7Design tweets can't wait for travis green's autobiography number one national bestseller move feet move puck how i changed the, the game of hockey with just four words travis green it's a reference to travis green writing on the whiteboard move feet move puck at canucks practice carter at nhl stroll tweets does it ever cr- drive you crazy tweets a screenshot of him saying at least we are buffalo six nothing capitals 
and then the Rangers are, were down, were leading the Flyers six nothing. <laughs> Good lord. Um, this one, this one, um, for is one for worst. Uh, that one was for best, by the way. After a year of cumbering New York City restaurants during the pandemic, it's from Gary He at Gary He. Believe he is a photojournalist from New York. Tweets. Three years of covering New York restaurants during the pandemic era. This is my favorite discovery while researching for a piece. Someone named Lewis leaves a review on March 12, 2020. Now remember that date, March 12, 2020. Uh, unfortunately, the place was practically empty due to the coronavirus fears. Service was great. We got the shellfish medley. Delicious. My husband had the sea scallops. You love them. I had the swordfish special and lime cilantro butter. I couldn't taste either the lime or cilantro. I gave it a B plus. Thanks. Now, did you catch that? I couldn't taste the lime or cilantro. Posted and dined on March 12, 2020. You know what that means? You do. He had he had the COVID. Um, this one is definitely for worse. A guy named Mark Edge. Uh, apparently he's a journalist, scholar, sailor. Hashtag betting bro, author of five books and writing two more. Taught in five countries, returned and confined to Canada by the virus. Tweets, why does Thomas Drance hate the Canucks so? According to Drance, betting should immediately trade away any and all assets to ensure team doesn't make the playoffs. You see, it's all a mirage. Hashtag Canucks at the large guy. Then, he posts a blog called Canucks Edge. And I believe I've seen his story before. And um, just attacks Thomas Drance because of his negativity. Uh, I'll read some of it here. The absolute worst, of course, is Thomas Drance of the unathletic, as I call it. The former tour bus guy got into covering sports as a blogger. Logs were popular 20 years ago before social media came along. But he's writing this on a blog. Nowadays, with Facebook and Twitter, they have faded in popularity. No, they haven't but still provide an outlet for those saying something substantial to say, like me. They actually qualify more as long-form journalism among the barbs and snipes on social media these days. But this credit Drance persisted, persisted with blogging, yada yada yada. He rose, he rose to managing editor of Canucks Army blog, which unfortunately became so negative that I call it the anti-Canucks Army. Now the trance is promoted to lead Canucks cross Barney for the athletic is criticism has become as rela relentless as its student. <sighs> and there is so much to unpack here. Like he says that he quote tweets saying the trance about quote tweets trance's piece saying the Canucks have been outshot by 67. And he says oh my gee as the kids also say they've been outshot. Jeez I always thought it was the shots that go into the net that determine the outcome of hockey game not the ones that don't go in. When I was a goalie, not a very good one at that. I couldn't collapse if the other team blasted as long as it was from distance and I get good view of the shots. Yada, yada, yada. And he also says, like, the problem with the new wave of hockey analytics experts is mostly based on shots. That's not when hockey games. So you went by shots on goal. The old Soviet Red Army will be the worst team in history. Yada, yada, yada. Oh my god, there's so much on back here. I don't think I should read the rest. Yeah, I won't. But imagine just, uh, he complains about someone else being negative while he just attacks another person at the local a person who is a big name in local media what a joke and the pic picture for Drance is just gold the picture that he used is Drance with in sunglasses and a suit and um 
I'm going to end it there for the best and worst of Twitter. So hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Follow me on Twitter at JoshuaRay91. Follow the podcast at Avid Discussers. Same handles for Instagram. Find Avid Discussers on Facebook. And we also forgot, always forget to mention this part of the Area 51 Sports Network. Check out our podcast there as well as blogs and other podcasts. Uh, sit, subscribe. Leave me a review, whether good or bad. Constructor's criticism is always welcome. And uh, tell me what I'm doing wrong, too, so I can improve. So that concludes this week's episode.